This is Asia in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of Asia in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in Asia Pacific on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Mancini, partner at Control Risks, and I head the Asia Pacific Markets team based here in Singapore. Welcome to this episode of Asia in Focus. On the back of a recent discussion we had on diversification of global supply chains out of China into Southeast Asia, we wanted today to take a closer look at Vietnam. Vietnam is a market that's been extremely hot for investment well before COVID, even through COVID, and uh, certainly after COVID. We had a recent report we just saw from HSBC Global Research that indicated that Vietnam is one of the few countries that's actually going to see consecutive two-year growth in the two years post-COVID. We've had a lot of questions still regarding market entry, market expansion, new partnerships, and the like. But as we know, there are headwinds. There's concerns about global recession and inflation. There's high energy prices. So what we want to do today is take a close look at what exactly is happening for investors in Vietnam. What's happening now? What is the outlook? Um, What are possible challenges and what are possible opportunities? And how are clients actually looking at that market? And what are they struggling with and how are they mitigating their risks? Clients are very bullish on Vietnam, but they are often concerned about the opaque regulatory and political landscape there. And it's understandable. Some of the sectors that are currently drawing the most investor interest I'm thinking energy, power, and so on. They've got really big regulatory gaps even now at the peak. And and this year, even the most experienced foreign investors in Vietnam that we speak to, they're wondering how to read the latest government actions uh, and especially the implications of some of the more interesting and unusual corruption cases and arrests we've just seen. We should always keep in mind that Vietnam cannot replace China in terms of skill. And it's still a long way for Vietnam to match the level of skilled laborers that China has. So it's not a story that whether companies closing their China operations to move everything to Vietnam, but more and more companies are now considering Vietnam as a China plus one destination. Those were Steve Norris, partner and head of our Southeast Asia Global Risk Analysis Team, and Lynn Nguyen, Associate Director and Vietnam Analyst, both based in our Singapore office. Steve and Lynn, you both spend all day every day out talking to clients about political and regulatory and operational risk issues. Can you give us a sense of what are clients thinking about most right now? What are the types of questions that you're getting uh, most often about investment expansion or problems that our clients are having in Vietnam. Steve, let's start with you. Thanks, Angela. Well, no doubt Vietnam's still one of the most attractive markets for our clients, for well, for many investors, and, and especially those who know their way around Southeast Asia. Discussions we have, they usually start on that note. Big plans, optimism. That's a bit of an obvious setup for a, for a BART. But the theme I'd pick out from these conversations um, from a large proportion of the engagements we have is that clients who've gotten a bit further along in their Vietnam cycle um, is, we've got this great project proposition. It's good for Vietnam. It's good for the industry. Why can't we get the critical approvals? Could be renewable energy, oil and gas, banking, real estate. We talk to many clients with basically the exact same script. 
So we talk about the various unlocks, the options, the strategies they could go for. What's falling out of all that, I'd say, is that you have now a relatively small number of Vietnamese companies, those who clients and you would see as having the political capital to unblock some of those issues. They're getting a disproportionate amount of approaches from foreign investors, had the same names come up again and again from clients in many different sectors. And then you have the SOEs, the state-owned companies. Maybe they're buying gas or power from your project. Maybe they're putting up land for you under a joint venture. They're getting a lot of opportunities and their decision-making is getting a lot more complicated. So you, the investor, the client, you might not know where all this leverage or opportunity that they have actually leaves your partners. How much of a priority are you and your project to them? How much effort are they putting in with the government and so on? It's impossible not to also run this through what's happening politically at the moment. And and we'll come on to that in a minute. But investor enthusiasm, no doubt. Maybe it's just a feature who would come to us, but then a bit more confusion and frustration from those who've been at it for a little bit while longer in Vietnam. And Lynn, what are your clients coming to you most with as it relates to Vietnam? Oh, do you know what, Angela? Actually, have kept me very busy last few weeks. Is uh, I've been asked a lot about one company named Vin Group. I actually got off from a call with uh, two clients about that. Uh, so it's the largest private company in Vietnam with businesses in every single sector, from uh, real estate to healthcare to education, and they are so making cars these days. This car company is called Vinfast which plan to build a 4 billion US dollar factory in North Carolina, which was actually recently mentioned by President Joe Biden on his Twitter. And also dozen international companies has invested billions and billions of dollars into that company, Vin Group. But however, over the past few weeks, uh, rumors emerged on social media that uh, its founder and chairman had been banned from leaving Vietnam because the company was being investigated. And the speculation surfaced a uh, as the Vietnamese government in, uh, intensifies uh, anti-corruption campaigns, which also recently jails many uh, seniors, um, government leaders and conglomerates, uh, leaders of conglomerates. Uh, although the rumors been slammed by the government, uh, Vin groups immediately lost like half a billion dollars on the stock market, which is a lot consider how small the Vietnam stock market is. And you know what? Uh, actually, although this is not the first time Vin Group has faced such business hiccup, three years ago, the chairman's brother was also sentenced to prison for corruption, which also caused uh, tremendous disruptions to the company business and cash flow issue as well. But this uh, the situations has changed and implications for investors are quite different now because the financial distress could be a lot more serious now given how much the company has invested in its car-making company. So that's what actually kept me busy the three day trying to explain to our clients uh, what's going on with the company and what does that mean to their investment. Yeah, and I remember you saying earlier that quite a lot of your calls are coming from clients who are already invested in some way in such a large conglomerate such as VinGroup, but then you're getting a lot of questions as well from clients that are saying, could my investment be next? Or if I want to invest in VinGroup uh, now, what does that look like? So Steve, let's turn back to you. I mean, you cover the politics very closely. You know, a layperson might look at the VinGroup situation and say, is this a start of some anti-corruption crackdown similar to what we've seen in China? Or is this a one-off? Certainly it looks to the outsider that it might be politically driven. 
How is the political situation playing out right now in Vietnam as it relates to business investments like this or ones that maybe aren't so large but have a lot of foreign investment in them? Yeah, there's no doubt something or some things happening under the surface in, in, in Vietnamese politics this year. The familiar story is that there's always been rising and falling levels of competition between the most senior leaders from the Communist Party. And when those rivalries spike, we usually see a jump in corruption investigations leading to arrests with an element of targeting presumed to have been in play. That's not to say that those getting caught up in it haven't done anything wrong, but the questions to ask are not so much why, what did they do, but why them and why now? So the speculation throughout this Congress, throughout this term of government, has been will the health of the party general secretary, uh, Mr. Trong, hold up? And how will the other three senior leaders, the, the prime minister, president and national assembly chairman, look? to position themselves against each other for a possible post-strong leadership reshuffle. So this year we've seen some senior politicians removed or arrested, such as the, the, the party secretary in Hanoi and the health minister, but also some quite interesting and lower profile but important for foreign investment community um, some lower profile business figures who've served as intermediaries for some foreign companies in the past and, and especially from Japan and Taiwan. And I'm, I'm sure there's some um, companies over there feeling a little bit uh, unsettled. So we've seen that kind of corruption case. Vietnam team in Vietnam, they definitely see heightened senses of concern among the, the local business community. Just um, kind of a regular theme of the conversations they have with Vietnamese executives there, especially those who in intimately involve themselves in government and who draw on high-level political connections. Concern about where some of these recent cases are ultimately headed. Will they draw in more senior politicians and is that part of the game? It certainly looks like it might be. And who are the next businesses who are going to get rolled? Linking this back to the issue of investment blockages and why this matters to our clients is there's clearly knock-on effects on the decision-making timelines, fear and paranoia within uh, SOEs, within ministries, um, but also a need for investors. So if you're thinking about engaging with companies who claim access and leverage, my father is a president director of a subsidiary of this SOE, whatever it might be, run your plans through political risk filters gauge your potential exposure. And even if there's no exposure, think about whether that partnership strategy is actually the unlock that you're hoping for in this kind of context. Yeah, that's great advice. And that obviously applies to the sectors that I know you deal with a lot, which are the ones like energy and real estate that and renewables that are in Vietnam, kind of for Vietnam, as it were. Lynn, let's turn to you because you work a lot with clients on the supply chain issues. So clients that are manufacturing Vietnam for export. And I know you've been across quite a lot of clients who are, as we talked about earlier, diversifying out of China and into, into Vietnam or diversifying further. They've already been there for a while. Um, which sectors are you seeing, Lynn, that are really expanding in Vietnam right now as it relates to that supply chain diversification angle? And how's it going for them? Yes. So as you said, due to the so-called U.S.-China trade war and the manufacturing disruption in China due to COVID, Vietnam has benefited largely from a new wave of investment from China. And as a result, uh, logistics and manufacturing, including uh, logistics and manufacturing real estate uh, in Vietnam has grown rapidly um, over the past uh, two to three years. Actually, every month we got at least two to three requests from our clients to look into some either industrial parkland or their few 
future factories or some um, potential local manufacturing companies that international brands want to partner with. Apart from that, as you might know, infrastructure in Vietnam is not as well developed as China, uh, for example. And the automation ratio in the manufacturing sector in Vietnam is still very low. So we also see a lot of interest in investing in infrastructures and technologies in Vietnam, especially those focused on manufacturing sector, uh, to help ensure supply chains uh, resiliencies. Um, however, um, it's quite obvious that Vietnam can never replace China in terms of skill, and it's still a long way for the country to match the level of skill labor that China and some other countries have. Although, a good news is uh, Apple is going to make iPad in Vietnam, so, so hopefully they're, in, they're going to make more complicated products there. But the point is, we don't see many companies closing their China operations to move everything to Vietnam. Uh, but we see more and more companies considering Vietnam as a China plus one market. Yeah, so much more diversification and, and maybe an amplification of their operations out of China as opposed to just a pivot per se. We'll return to the conversation with Stephen Lin in just a moment, but wanted to point out that we recently published an article on the great supply chain relocation um, from China to other places in Asia. And we've discussed how companies can expand operations into Southeast Asia in light of COVID-19 restrictions as well. That can be found on our website. Um, if you're interested to read that analysis or listen to our conversation on any other topic, Please do find all that in the Our Thinking section on our website, or you can click on the link down below in our podcast notes. And now let's return to the conversation on Vietnam. I know we've been really busy on Vietnam issues for clients across a range of sectors, particularly as we've come out of the worst of COVID. I'm wondering, Steve, let's start with you. Based on the client requests you're getting, are there any trends you're seeing as it relates to sectors that are hotter than others right now in terms of the Vietnam market? Well, definitely the main sectors are energy, variations of energy investments. So that's traditional power generation, LNG to power projects, and various kinds of renewable energies. That interest coming from all over, from private power companies, from the West, from Japan, from uh, other Asian countries, uh, even other Southeast Asian companies. Also, you know, your equity investors and your government-funded entities who are looking for uh, sustainability and development capital deployment in um, in Vietnam. So they're all long-term bets on the Vietnamese economic growth story and the increasing demand for power that, that that's going to bring. So. For the short term, those are unfortunately areas where the, there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty. Um, the two big specific issues are the power development plan, the new sector master plan, PDP-8, uh, and some new rules for the renewable energies, and particularly the auctions process for selling your renewable energy output to EVN. To the, that's the state-owned power company, Vietnam Electricity. It looked a lot like PDP-8 was close to completion around May. But then in June, the prime minister, who's the ultimate approver, he suddenly issued a pretty strong instruction to some of his ministries to reconsider parts of it. 
um, with the most problematic aspect in his view being the inclusion of so many LNG to power projects. We've been working with a couple of investors who, feeling confident around that, suddenly felt very much like this was bad news for them and for other investors. You'd have to expect that many of those previously approved projects are going to be cut out of the next draft of the plan simply to you know appease the prime minister better news was for solar solar power so that the prime minister wants to reverse some of the cuts to solar projects in the draft he saw in may and some of them that have got their their investment registration certificates but have not yet been built could come back to life in the next draft Anyway, the bigger picture is there's another delay for all those wanting to know if their projects can move ahead. And then back to renewables, probably even later, are they going to get the certainty over whether or not they're commercially viable? What are you going to get for your power once the auctioning and pricing mechanisms become clear? So um, unfortunately, Vietnam, they just can't get it together here where they've got the most new investor interest. On the flip side, there's a lot less regulatory challenge for manufacturing companies compared to the early and mid-COVID times in Vietnam or other areas of the economy. I come at it very much from a problematic phase of the investment cycle. I I think Lynn would probably tell you a different story on sectors of interest. What do you reckon, Lynn? Uh, I agree with you, Steve. Uh, Energy is booming in Vietnam. But another sector that I've been seeing a lot is tech and fintech because you know what? With the countries of almost 100 million populations and large uh, potential tech-savvy users pay and active startup and investment communities, Vietnam definitely very attractive for investors. Data already shows the country has been top in terms of investment from private equity and venture capitals in technologies and startup. But one thing I wanted to mention is that you still really need to do your homework very well before you enter the market. Because, for example, uh, you might see the news that saying Vietnam is the top growth in terms of e-commerce, but that doesn't mean you can immediately enter the market, even if you're the most successful e-commerce company, for example, in Singapore, because in Vietnam, uh, when they, for example, when people order the products online, they don't pay through e-payments, through online. It's mostly cash on deliveries because uh, not many people there use uh, e-payment or having credit card. So uh, you still really need to understand the local market very well. Another thing is that the weak governance is still a typical problem at local startup companies in Vietnam. Issues like they don't really have the anti-bribery and corruption policy uh, within their company or they don't have board diversities in management. Also, uh, tax transparency is the huge problem in Vietnam. So you really need to do research very well and understand your potential local partner very well before you enter the market. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you're both saying across the range of sectors that you're seeing, whether they're the more traditional manufacturing, moving into energy, or even moving into much newer ones like tech and fintech. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity, but let me play devil's advocate for a moment, Lynn, and let me start with you, or let me turn to you rather. As we know, Vietnam has been a good news story since well before COVID and again, really through COVID and post-COVID. But is there anything that you see that could derail that? I mean, we, again, There are concerns about potential global recession. There's inflationary concerns. High energy prices impact the Vietnam market, perhaps disproportionately. We're also seeing, as you know, not just new market entry and and new partner vetting uh, coming through to us from clients, but we're seeing an increase in conflicts of interest and disputes as clients have their investments further along in the life cycle 
They're starting to run into some operational challenges that they didn't have in the earlier days. So let me turn to you and ask, we're at a time where perhaps the Vietnamese investment market might turn more sour. If so, how well prepared is the government to respond to those potential tougher times ahead from a policymaking perspective? Wow, uh, that's a million dollar question, Angela. I could say, um, so obviously the country is a lot more open now. The economy is a lot more open, so it could be affected stronger than it used to before. Um, but I believe uh, the current leadership is uh, a lot more well-trained compared to the previous ones. And also they learned the lesson from the past, from the previous uh, global recession in 2008 and within 2008 and 2011. Um, so I believe that the policymakers uh, are all well-prepared for another global recession or another business disruption. Uh, however, one thing uh, we should always remember is that uh, there are still some fundamental problems uh, within the, the country. Now, uh, for example, like non-performing loans in the banking system, although they set up a company to resolve the non-performing loans, but basically it's just like moving debt from one book to another book. So the debt is still there and also bad debts in state-owned enterprise and how much resources those state-owned enterprise taking from the economy. So those fundamental problems haven't been resolved completely yet. Uh, so I think it's still very challenging for Vietnam, but I couldn't anticipate the situation would be very bad. Let's turn to our last question just right before we conclude the conversation today. Um, and I'm going to turn to both of you. Steve, I'll start with you. Can you provide, so given everything that we've heard over the course of the, the discussion here, just a quick takeaway for businesses who are listening in regarding the outlook that you have for the market in Vietnam and over, let's say, the next year and things to ensure that they're staying across as they're looking at or expanding further into the market. How do they think about managing the top risks that they might have to investments in Vietnam? Steve, let's start with you. Well, absolutely. Vietnam is a great opportunity in general sense, conceptually, and, and in all of the sectors we've mentioned today. I'd say to anyone, don't expect an automatic red carpet to come out if you're looking to get into the market. Vietnam now is well aware of its value proposition, and there's plenty of suitors looking to get in from all over the world. If you're going into a sector, especially if you're going into a sector where you need government buy-in and approvals, you need to be able to tailor your proposition to specific policy, political goals, individual interests, all of which is, is pretty tough to do in a country where there's always a lot going on that you can't see. And there's always so much speculation and gossip flying around the market. I think the takeaway really is that Vietnam, it's a big opportunity, but as Lynn said, lots of homework to do in Vietnam before you go in. Okay, that's great advice. And Lynn, any final points from you? I could say that although you do your pre-investment homework, but the investment due diligence shouldn't just stop there because um, you should always prepare for situations when things go wrong. And you know what? From our experience working with our clients, dispute and conflicts, either uh, dispute with uh, partners or with competitors, happen more than many investors might anticipate it. And the last point is that um, should always pay attention to your partner's uh, political exposures because political exposure could mean different things in different circumstances. Sometimes it could be helpful when you have good uh, government backing, but sometimes it could put your company at risk uh, due to some government scrutinies because of some internal political infighting. 
Thanks. So what I hear you both saying as we conclude here is, indeed, Vietnam continues to be a fantastic opportunity, including not just for more traditional sectors like manufacturing, but moving into sectors like energy, renewables, solar, as well as tech, fintech. Um, Lynn, you mentioned, you know, Apple expanding there as well. So it sounds like it continues to be a great opportunity, albeit there may be headwinds, um, headwinds coming. Having said that, the government seems that it's fairly well positioned to weather um, any headwinds that might be that, that we might be seeing from a global economic perspective. So that's great and, and really good takeaways for our clients that have investments there in terms of thinking about doing your homework, obviously, in advance, understanding how politically connected your partners are or not, and then that, what that means as different political campaigns cycle out through the country. And then certainly, Lynn, to your point, prepare for disputes. Make sure that you're ready uh, and you're kind of prepared for if things do turn sour, as sometimes they do, especially in the Vietnam market. So it just leaves it to me to say thank you so much, Steve and Lynn, for this great discussion. And thanks to everybody for listening in. This concludes today's Asia in Focus, and we look forward to the next session. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of Asia in Focus, be sure to subscribe and make sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.